The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 197 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all the opinions expressed in the show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence or privilege to as a result of my current employment. I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to provide the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, folks, if you haven't seen them yet, Task Force 7 sneakers are out and about. I'm loving them. They're really comfortable, folks. Check them out at aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7. My hope with these are to honor all those who run a crisis on a daily basis and recognize that everyone has their own personal crisis. <clears throat> My hope is that when you see the sneakers, the TF7s, you get the confidence to run your own personal crisis and know you're not alone. At Task Force 7, we run a crisis together, so know you're part of the TF7 family. Again, check them out at aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7. Well, last week, folks, I hope you enjoyed it. We had Anthony Johnson, the managing partner of Dell Risk, come on episode 196 to talk about the current state of cybersecurity sales. Interesting chat. Anthony's been on both sides of the table, so we were able to discuss how we help CISOs understand the world of the salesperson and how we enable the salesperson to successfully engage with security executives. Anthony also shared his perspective on the CISO role and the difference between a big C and a little C in the CISO title and what that means for practitioners as they're engaging their executives in their respective companies. We finished up the show with Anthony sharing how he decided to leave his enterprise cybersecurity executive role to become an entrepreneur and his advice for those looking to start a business. All this and much, much more, folks, on episode 196 of TF7 Radio. Well, tonight we have... The founder and CEO of True Fort, Samir Moholtra, joining me on the show. As CEO and founder and board member, Samir takes, makes True Fort happen, drawing from his past customer side experience. He also serves as the company spokesperson and cultural True North. Prior to True Fort, Samir held senior executive IT roles in the world's top financial institutions, including JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America Merrill Lynch, and Goldman Sachs. Samir frequently appears as a speaker at conferences in the media and has been granted multiple patents. And he has a Master of Science degree in Technology Management from the Stevens Institute of Technology. It's my pleasure to introduce founder and CEO of True Fort, Mr. Samir Malhotra. Samir, how you doing, buddy? Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hey, Andy. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. Yeah, man. Look, I was so excited to catch up with you a couple weeks ago at the SignEd event. I was like, I got to have my boy Samir on the show true talent. You're doing a lot of cool stuff at True Fort. You've had a very interesting path. And so I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join, you know, to come on with us this evening. So thank you so much. I don't know. This is perfect, Andy. I mean, I, I enjoyed our conversations and especially, um, you know, from your backgrounds and the stories that I heard from you guys, it is exhilarating and really exciting to, uh, to see, you know, you guys in action and, uh, you know, anywhere that, you know, True Fort can, can assist where we're excited about uh, the conversation. Very cool, man. I love it. So, so look, man, look, I, you know, you, you spent a lot of time, you know, in the enterprise space, really the, in the pressure cooker in the financial sector, the biggest banks, biggest enterprises, the biggest issues, you know, some would say, and you did it at a very high level. Um, and so I'd love for you to just share, you know, a little bit about your background, your journey, and kind of how you ended up, you know, deciding to uh, launch True Fort. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, I was lucky to have spent uh, 23 years in financial service at some of the best uh, uh, banks in the world. Uh, I ran global infrastructure engineering and security engineering uh, at uh, organizations like Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, and JP Morgan Chase. And over the years, my co-founder and I, uh, we built a lot of technologies um, to support our businesses, uh, you know, mostly in the infrastructure and orchestration space. And, you know, as we went through the journeys at the different organizations, uh, we certainly uh, were ahead of the curve in terms of the requirements because the financial services uh, tends to be leading in, in, in certain respects. And then after a couple of years of uh, going through cyber challenges at these organizations, whether it was breaches, governance issues, or regulation, what we realized that irrespective of how much we were spending to protect the endpoints in the perimeter, <clears throat> we continue to see incidences. And this led us to rethink what were we trying to protect. And so as we looked deeper at the, the different types of issues, what we realized is the key thing that we were trying to protect were the applications because it, it's what operates the business and it's where the important information that the bad actors were trying to get to, whether it's malicious intent or, or theft. And so protecting applications became something that was uh, you know, very centered to what we were thinking about. Uh, from my vantage point in in, uh, in the senior positions at the bank, I had uh, the fortunes of, of dealing with some of the providers in terms of technology that, at that point in the in the late and uh, uh, 2015s. And what I realized was that most of the focus from those organizations that were supplying technologies to all these industries were, was either uh, configuration-based security or some kind of um, capability that uh, starts to bring a lot of noise uh, into the security organization with not too much uh, value. And so we thought in order to protect applications, we would have to build something. And so we decided to start Trueford uh, with a focus on helping the enterprise protect applications. And the great thing about this is it's not unique <clears throat> to any one industry. It's not financial services right. or healthcare or, or telco. In fact, today we have customers across you know, all the major verticals. And I think this is the exciting piece as, as we work with more and more customers. So, yeah, man, I think that's, I mean, look, and that's where everybody's interacting with, you know, their data is getting interacting with the, with the companies, right? So, you know, before we, before we move on to your entrepreneurial journey, man, and kind of, you know, digging into Trueford a little bit more, I, I'd love to get, you know, what got you interested in IT and security in the first place? Sure. Um, I was lucky to have gone to engineering school in uh, New Jersey. I went to Stevens Institute of Technology, where I did my uh, bachelor's in electrical engineering and my master's in uh, technology management, uh, you know, having been uh, educated in the Northeast, the natural path was to find a job in the financial institutions. And I started my career early in 1993 at Salomon Brothers. And I started in, in infrastructure and in systems uh, uh, engineering. And those are the early days of, of Windows, Windows <clears throat> NT and the likes and uh, learned Windows, learned Unix and then grew my career from there, from system administration all the way to software development and, and um, you know, management. And so, you know, through that journey, the early, early days of security used to be part of the systems uh, management space where, you know, you were responsible for uh, whether it was uh, patching systems, uh, putting the data together. So all the engineering work that went, and then over the years, as security became more of an enablement function within the organization, uh, you know, our roles uh, in the enterprise uh, naturally became an enabler. In fact, I remember, you know, uh, back in the days uh, at, at Goldman Sachs, uh, some of my peers and I used to sit with the security teams and we used to go to the CIOs and show them the state of their applications and their environment and the things they needed to do from a security perspective or a governance perspective. And that just naturally, you know, lent itself over the years uh, with the experience when we, you know, grew our responsibilities across networks 
you know, uh, endpoint software and the likes. And so we've been practicing this for a long time, my co-founder and I, and uh, this just started to become a natural, uh, you know, collision of our experiences from infrastructure and engineering to where security is going down the road. Yeah. And it's all got to be embedded, right? I mean, you can't, ha- you can't split the days of splitting the two, like IT and security are like, you know, kind of over. So right. quick question for you, man, because I find this to be fascinating when I talk to entrepreneurs, especially those that were, you know, kind of career, um, you know, employees, if you will, right. In, in, in yep. large enterprises and making that shift. So founder and CEO, What's which one's harder? <laughs> That's a trick question. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the thing about uh, being a founder is it's taking a leap, right? And um, convincing um, folks to back you up. Uh, you know, whether it's it's the the early investors or <clears throat> just the teams you're building that the idea that you're driving is is going to be off something significant and having a, a vision that people can understand and relate to uh, really quickly. So, uh, you know, founder is, 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 is definitely the stepping stone to, to CEO. And then w- once <clears throat> you get through a certain stage, uh, the CEO aspect starts because you start to uh, focus on growing uh, the um startup that you, you're working uh, for now, uh, you're no longer just a founder, you're, you're also uh, an employee and you, start, you have to start to think about different things that you've never had the experience of. So I think both roles are very unique. They do crisscross, they're not naturally uh, you know, set together. Uh, I, I find many times when I talk to um, many startups, you find over the years that the founders have taken <clears throat> a, a different role or are focused on the, on the product side, whereas the CEO is focused on, on building the organization. I feel I enjoy both, but uh, you know, as time uh, goes and as uh, Truefort uh, becomes a larger organization, I'm now more focused on <clears throat> developing the business and, and growing the organization, whether it's within the United States or, or internationally. Yeah, I mean, you certainly have a great story, right? And I think that's, you know, resonates. What's it like to kind of get those first initial employees to come on board? You know, like you obviously have a believers in you, believers in the idea, but they're obviously taking a leap um, just as much as, you know, it almost, you know, almost more than you, right? Because, you know, you're, they, they need to trust you in the concept. What's, what's the makeup of the people that are joining you early, you know, on this venture and, and what, what made them decide, you know, do you have any insight into that? Yeah. So it's interesting, right? So since we're based in the Northeast, um, it, it's a different culture than somewhere in, in the West coast, California or yeah. uh, Seattle area where, where people know about startups, about the startup culture, want to be part of that and the likes. And you find in the Northeast, it's, it's a little different. Uh, folks are, are well-paid. Um, they, they have a structured compensation that they understand well, and, and they can see three to five years out, right? There's a, there's a progressive path in terms of career, uh, and there, there are many banks. So what, what you find is that, uh, you have to look for, uh, the folks that are innovators that, that want to work on hard, complex, innovating problems, and there are many, many folks in, uh, that I've come across in the last couple of years that, that find this type of work exciting and are not only compensation focused, but as you grow uh, and you raise capital, you're able to then hire uh, great talent uh, because, you know, talent is a, is a combination of two things, right? One, you're giving them excited work. Two, you're able to, to, to cover their, their compensation basis. But I think the early folks is that you find many f- um, great people who are interested in working on difficult, challenging problems and, and want to be part of, uh, of something like that. And the other thing I, we found was that there, there are many um, folks, especially in the financial services industry, because technology is an enabler, it's not the business. And so they might be dissatisfied with um, the type of role that they're doing. 
they want to be uh, in the cutting edge. They want to be uh, driving an industry. And this is where, you know, innovative companies like Trueforth benefit from, from those kind of resources. Yeah, that's a really good point, man. People get stagnant, right? And they're like, I want to, I want to do something cool again and get that fire <clears throat> in the belly, get that energy back, you know, and, and that, that's really cool. So uh, look, I got so much more I want to dive into, man. We got to take a, <laughs> a commercial break. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram at searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with founder and CEO of Truefort, Mr. Samir Malhotra. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with founder and CEO of Truefort. Samir Malhotra. All right, my man. I, you know, I, I'm loving what you're doing at Truefort. And, but I want to get your take on what's going on in the security landscape and, you know, why are applications and workloads a threat to the that security teams, you know, need to focus on? That's a, that's a great question, Andy. I mean, really, if you think about it today, um, well, from the application perspective, it's, um, it's where we run our business, right? And the workloads is where we run our applications. Today, um, security teams have a, uh, a, a challenge in terms of where everything runs, right? They might be in the cloud. 
they're hybrid, they're on-prem, uh, they're new versions of operating systems, there's legacy, and it's a hodgepodge. It's, it's complex, it's diverse, and it's, it's continuously moving. And so getting on top of that, uh, especially as um, newer and newer application technology keeps emerging, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, we were, you know, VMware and VM and, and containers. Now we're, uh, you know, uh, functions and, uh, you know, uh, data meta structures. And, and soon, you know, and recently we just started to hear all about all of these um, new capabilities in terms of AI and ML based applications that are going to decide themselves in how they're going to solve business problems. So the, the challenges there are, are, are continuous, right? And organizations are not static. They might be releasing new technologies. And we all know um, that in, in any in one industry, you can push as much as uh, 10% uh, change per year in terms of IT. And that's tremendous, right? So for security teams to keep on top of what's changing and on top of what is already there in, in terms of what they're protecting with the magnitude of the threats and the vectors coming in. It's something that needs to be managed and automated. Uh, and so, you know, there's a tremendous focus in, in terms of protecting applications and workloads today. I mean, and, and when you're talking like workloads, like you're talking multiple clouds, right? You may be talking absolutely you know, like the regulatory in privacy landscape. We're talking about where does your data sit? Who has access to it? That's before you even start getting into misconfigurations and vulnerabilities right. and right. pick your poison on the threat space, and, right? And, and, <laughs> and, you, and you know this, you know, the best, like, and if you're an international organization, it's, it's, it's even more complex, right? So in, in the United States, you might be in, in AWS and internationally, uh, you might be on a different cloud provider or you might have some sovereignty-based governance issues that you have to deal with, you know, and, and so that's, that's, that just becomes challenging and yeah. not having the capability to stay in front of all of those things is, is uh, a challenge for all of us. So I do say a lot of times in the show, we talk about like where we're falling short and what needs to happen to get, make things better. But I'd love to get your take on, you know, having sat on sit on both sides of the fence here between you know in the enterprise merging security and IT and then also you know as an entrepreneur building next gen capabilities talking to every CISO in the world around what they need to be doing like what what are we actually doing right you know as an industry and security these days like we, we talk a lot about what we struggle with and I'd love to get your take on that too but I think I'd love to hear what you think what's going well what what i find exciting is that over the last couple of years and you know with like uh, task force um, 7 the the amount of education that we're giving not only at the grassroots level with you know going out to colleges and and young folks understanding security and some uh, some of the top names in security which are now household uh, investment great companies like CrowdStrike and Zscaler and Palo Alto Networks and the likes. And so people are seeing that this is a real industry. The other thing that we're doing well is information sharing, right? The amount of events and the venues of information sharing that we see, I think no other industry does it as well as we do. Uh, might be in the, um, you know, uh, in the defense sector, there might be a, uh, that, but I don't think the public-private sector, the amount of information sharing in, in, in the private sector uh, is tremendous. And I think the more we continue to do that, the better we'll level the playing field for everyone in the space. The second thing that I see is that there is a easy path for innovation in our industry. We are willing to take on innovative solutions we're willing to work with innovative companies. I mean, the fact that there's there's thousands of new cyber startup companies in the last five years is, is testament to that, that it's an industry that's, that's willing to innovate and industries that are willing to innovate always tend to succeed versus in, in industries that just stay stagnant. So what we're seeing is that that combination of information sharing 
the capability of bringing talent into the organization, uh, the name recognition and um, our ability to innovate is, is fantastic. I think no other industry is, is going through as much as we are. Yeah. I mean, it, look, there's, it, it's the only subsector in IT that has an adversary, right? Like, I mean, yeah. anytime you're kind of going hand to hand combat every day, you know, with an adversary, I mean, that's exciting, exciting stuff. And you got to innovate to kind of stay up there. I, I will say you guys are in a really interesting position because you're, you know, with just the climate right now around zero trust, like I'd love to get your take on just how, how are you defining it? What are you guys doing that's different? Zero trust to me is like the one thing that the investment world seems to want to double down on that right. whoever gets that right is going to be like a huge winner um, because it's the thing right now. Right. So how are you guys looking at zero trust and what are you guys doing? That's unique. First, you know, let me help elaborate what we believe uh, and what the security industries believe for the longest time is least privilege is the most important thing that we try to strive to, right? Just enough capability to do what the business requires to do. Well, just enough, maybe not the wrong word, but the right amount of, of access and capability so that, you know, business can continue to operate and security is not in the way, right? Yeah. So we understand that basic concept, right? The challenge becomes is that the um, whole enterprise is, is fluid, right? And so what you're trying to do is saying, okay, I need to have a framework and there are multiple frameworks and Zero Trust happens to be one of the frameworks that says, look, any transaction that I see in my environment I've got to know, understand, and accept. And if I don't know about these transactions, whether it's a network connection or a start of a software, then it's either a breach of my, my, my contract with the organization as a security team, or it's something happening that we're not aware of. So we're all striving to get to that, but it, it's, it starts to become very difficult because security now is, 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 is also an enabler of business. So coming down to zero trust with least privilege is, 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 is impossible. So what Trueforce is doing is saying, okay, let us understand and take a behavioral approach rather than a configuration-based approach. And this allows you to soften the edges in, and create thresholds of acceptance in, in the zero trust framework, and it allows you to be adaptive. And it's important to have that automation in place so that you can continually improve as your business improves and you can continue to provide the right level of security and, and, and understanding to the behaviors that are happening in real time within your, your environment. So, man, that's, so I get it. And that, that's a super cool concept. Doesn't seem like it's, I'd love to get how you're approaching it, right? Because the behavioral piece, I mean, why is the behavioral approach more important than the rules-based approach? So the rules-based approach over a period of time starts to create this um, resistance. We, we as an organization, we as, as humans have a resistance to changing something that we've already created, right? And so the rules-based just becomes this. And I'll give you an example, right? Uh, a couple of months ago, we were working with uh, a fairly uh, large enterprise. And one of the calls that we have in our industry is moved to the cloud because of its agile, fast, provides resources and time. So this organization wanted to do a POC and it took them three months to get a server one of the cloud providers. Oh, man. <laughs> right? And so when you diagnose that, so the organization had created its own, uh, you know, structures and, and its own process that took something that was supposed to be fast and agile and, and, and created a process in a way it took three months. So we have this natural tendency to oversimplify and create, create this structure that we understand. And unfortunately that creates more problems and more uh, work uh, for the security teams, more issues at the SOC as you try to manage. From a behavioral perspective, what you can start to do, and we learned this from the financial services industry, the example being is that the high frequency, low latency trading, which is all automated today, it looks at real-time data and, and compares it to a model. 
And that model can be designed to un- around behaviors, buy, sell, uh, within thresholds and so forth. And we took that same capability and said, you know, why not apply this to, to security and zero trust? So we are able to now learn applications or infrastructure or workload environments, uh, create a model around that of, of behavior, understand what the acceptable thresholds are, and then compare that with real-time telemetry to decide whether the behavior is anomalous or within permitted thresholds. This way, you're not just looking at everything that breaks a rule, but you know have, you can have softer approaches to certain things and hard approaches to others within the same model. And that's why we think that's more effective than a rules-based yeah, I love it, uh, right? I mean, it's, it, it, and it resonates too, right? Because it's like at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> we know signature-based and rule-based stuff is just not going to cut it. And it, we got to be able to morph and adapt with how people are interacting with the environments that we're building. Um, and, the, you know, that model would help you do that. Qu- question for you, just and, and if it's strategic, please sort of tell me, hey, we can't talk about it. But in terms of like, I always find with the zero trust, least privilege, and then the behavior-based detection of access to inf- in, in infrastructure and applications, where does that put, you know, the insider risk detection? Like, is there a future in that in the zero trust game for folks? Like, can you Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 so I have a very um, simplistic way of doing things, right? The hackers are outside until they're inside. Once they're inside, everyone's the same, right? And yep. whether it's insider threat or, or someone doing something silly, within the organizations. Now, every organization has hundreds of people, you know, we're all trying to do different things, meet different objectives. And sometimes we don't understand when we're crossing paths or someone may be doing something silly, not intentional, but there's enough to change uh, the risk uh, of our application environments or our tolerance levels. And so, you know, there is uh, a continual way of, of understanding those behaviors and looking at insiders and also making sure those the insiders are not doing something that is detriment to the risk position that the security teams are trying to achieve. Yes, so true, man. And I think, you know, the behavioral component of that becomes really important. I just sat on a panel, uh, you know, California on the International Association of Privacy Professionals, and we talked about insider threat. And, you know, I it, it, when you're building these programs, right, it's important to not monitor people, right? You want to, you want to behave, you want to monitor behavior and detect on behavior, right? So this concept of, you know, the behavioral model that you're talking about really resonates with me because it's, it's to me, it's where you're going to win. Um, and, and so uh, where does like AI fit into this, um, you know, over time? I think, you know, AI is getting better, right? Um, the, but the challenge with AI uh, more specifically is that um, once AI takes a certain direction, it's, it's hard to make it look the other way, right? And so as we improve our models, uh, it, it's going to get better. Today, it's got to be hybrid, right? There, there is still a function of rules-based approach with behavior, and AI is going to do that over time. The longer term is that every provider today of, of security tools is shifting to, you know, what some of the early folks like, um, you know, CrowdStrike or Silence or, uh, you know, Palo Altos and Cisco's have done, where they've been able to bring the data to one central place and start to do some great AI work and detective work and that, unfortunately, not every organization is in, in that position today. Um, to to create AI for every aspect that you're trying to secure. But I think that's improving over time. And that uh, instead of getting threat feeds that we have to compare with, or, uh, you know, we're all used to the signatures and hashes and, and, and the likes, we might be getting behavior-based intelligence based on, on AI saying, if you see certain behaviors the AI is catching, then that's a risky and and identify that and attack. So it's going to automate many things, but uh, you know today uh, we still de- depend on on this hybrid approach uh, as as AI systems um, become more available. Yeah, man, it, it's so true, and I, lo- I love what you're saying about 
it's hard to get AI to look and turn the other way. <laughs> right? We've seen it so many times. Once it goes in the direction, it it always and that's that's the the. the the, the thing I was I was reading uh, even today that uh, Microsoft and Nvidia have created you know one of the best AI engines and even that with that capability still has uh, some bias and you know so if, if they're still seeing bias at their ca- calculations ca- calculate you know their ability to calculate then uh, we've got some time to catch up. So, you mean, I'd love to get your take too. Here on the CEO kind of entrepreneur front, you know, there's a big difference between companies that are regulated and companies that are not regulated. And, you know, the incentives for, um, and, and budgets even, right, for regulated companies is typically higher than non for the most, typically. Let's just work on that as the premise, right? What's your strategy, you know, from a, when you're kind of selling into, or talking to the CISOs of, of these non-regulated entities around getting them to, you know, get on board with what you guys are doing at Trueford. Not that it's it, it, not that it's bad stuff, right? It's just more like, you know, budgets are are limited, resources are tight. They may not have the skill set as maybe a large enterprise, like you know, in the fi- financial sector, right? Like, what are you seeing in those smaller, um, un- the unregulated industries? Um, you know, as, as people are trying to adopt, you know, your type of technology? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, I think four or five years ago, that was an issue, right? The, the folks in the unregulated industry would be like, why would we care? Um, over the last couple of years, we've seen enough of uh, the security issues that can affect businesses that they, they've now... The boards of these companies, the founders, the CEOs of those companies understands that cyber is now a standard part of risk man, uh, management that every uh, organization has to have, whether they're private or public. And so the conversations are now becoming a lot easier because these security professionals are now able to have a conversation, convince their management that if they do not protect the assets, then it's a risk to the business. Since since that is a a conversation that's happening today, we can easily now have these discussions about where are they looking forward to protecting, what are the next steps that they want to take. And, And zero trust, you know, in the last couple of breaches that we've seen, whether it was colonial pipelines or uh, or anything that's actually vital to the to our nation's economy, uh, everyone's got something now on their roadmap or in their budget to protect those assets. Yeah. And so I, I I think it's a far cry from where we were three you know four to five years ago. It's beautiful. So all right, before we head on to a commercial break, man, <clears throat> what are um... What are some of the trends that you're seeing shaping up for 2022? We, I think one of the biggest trends we see is, is cloud, cloud adoption, especially post-pandemic. Uh, the other trend we see is that uh, security teams are not interested in just pure point, uh, best of class point solutions anymore uh, because they have to do all the work. And so they're now looking at, uh, at technologies that, provide uh, multiple capabilities, platform capabilities. And, you know, I'll give you a simple example, right? No one wants another agent, right? They all want now right. one capability that can, can take out two or three different things. And so we're seeing a consolidation, not necessarily, yes, in the industry, we're seeing that, but we're also seeing a consolidation of thought. So when, when customers are now buying product, they want to make sure they solve multiple problems, not just pure play, single point of solution. It's so true. Right. And, you know, number one, it's like, can't we just build one agent for everything? <laughs> right? But then you go back to the, you know, the endpoint teams or the desktop teams and you're like, Hey, I want to deploy another agent. And they're like, dude, what are you doing to me? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you worry about all the interoperability and it's off the, all of it. It's a mess. So that I'm glad to see that there's everyone's catching on to that, that shift. Hopefully, 
you know, folks other than yourself are also catching on so that it makes it easier for, for folks to deploy and be safe. All right, folks, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away. We'll be right back with more from founder and CEO of Truefort, Samir Malhotra. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with founder and CEO of Truefort. Mr. Samir Mohotra. All right, man, I want to finish off what we were talking about around zero trust. Um, tell me a little bit more about how you guys are doing it and what, you know, what is it doing for you guys at Truefort? Yeah, so um, our, like we said, our basic premise is around understanding behaviors, but what do we bring to, what does Truefort bring to the table? There's three basic capabilities. First is visibility, observability. This uh, helps our security teams, infrastructure and and software teams understand what behaviors are happening with respect to the app applications. We, we look over 155 different parameters. Uh, you have a capability of our agent or uh, CrowdStrike, who we, are, we were the first app store partner with. And then we bring the capability of controls. In the control space, we bring hardening, which is using the CIS benchmark as a standard for your workloads and your applications, uh, intelligence segmentation, uh, the capability of uh, segmenting your apps uh, from a micro-segmentation perspective, whether it's using the endpoint firewall, uh, your, your middleware, uh, such as VMware, or using a third-party uh, agent like CrowdStrike uh, uh, with the capabilities of doing this in real-time environments, such as Kubernetes. Um, one of the big things that we bring in the control is the service identity 
control. All, we all know that the biggest lateral movement problem in the industry is the non-human IDs. And because these non-human IDs are very uh, behavioral based by the application, you need to understand them. You can't just take a privilege approach of that. And we bring this control in real time uh, with integrity insurance and FIM capabilities at the workload, uh, granular application control and continuous exploit prevention of the software you're running. All of these controls are available with our agent and some sub subset with other agents. And lastly is the whole response capabilities, the, the ability to do threat detection, automation for response and threat hunting capabilities so that we automate all the capabilities in the SOC. And so the SOC is only looking at things that have uh, a reasonable level of, of risk. The rest is automated out. And so Trueford brings these capabilities in a single platform to help you protect your application from a zero trust perspective. Man, it, it, super cool stuff, right? And, and I think you're, you know, we talked about around like the ecosystem and how, you know, you're, you can leverage the data off other agents to do more. I mean, that becomes a really huge value add for folks um, because it's so hard to, to integrate, right? And take the data and telemetry right. off of each one and do the analytics. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> it could be a nightmare for folks. So that's a, that's really cool, man. So, I get it, right? What's what's next for you guys? Um, so we've recently just taken a, another $30 million uh, round of funding to help us expand internationally, but a big portion of that is to expand uh, in, in as a SaaS model. Today, we uh, provide our capabilities either on-prem or in the customer cloud, uh, but what we're seeing as a trend is uh, many of our customers are now uh, comfortable with a SaaS uh, security application, and they're actually asking for that because they want turnkey solutions. They want the ability to just have the value perspective rather than building out the software infrastructure capability. We're releasing that shortly, and uh, we're continuing to grow and provide this capability both uh, domestically and internationally. So, so thirty million just rattled off the tongue, like rolled right <laughs> off, like it's nothing, right? Um, there's no shortage of fundraising going on right now. I'm glad to see you guys are, you know, getting your piece. What, what advice would you give, you know, kind of the new entrepreneur or folks that are looking to raise money right now? Like what's, what's the climate like? What, what would you, how would you advise that, you know, a new entrepreneur on this? Yeah. So, um, the great thing about, uh, the, this, uh, well, I'll start with the great thing about the United States is the fact that we're a fantastic country to do business in as an entrepreneur. There are so many avenues, but there's also a level of frustration. So one of the key things that I learned through the money raising process is that, um, you know, like, you know, it, it's a numbers game. Do not get fixated with who gives you your early capital. Just make sure that they have the right intentions for you. Um, so if you find somebody who's who's willing to give you capital, make sure you get references. But I think, uh, you know, it's, it's not a unique story. People will tell you when, you when you're early raising out, I know in the early days of, uh, of um, uh, Trufort uh, in our Series A, I must have talked to about 30 venture capitalists and got a term sheet eventually from four. Uh, but um, it does take a lot of work. Uh, fundraising is a big portion of your time. Uh, make sure that uh, you know, uh, you're allocating and you understand the impact of that to what you're doing in terms of product delivery and, and, and do not focus, uh, lose focus on your potential customers. Uh, otherwise, it's a numbers game. Just, just go at it with that thought in mind uh, and don't get married to, to any one specific fund until the fat lady sings. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. But you know, what's funny too, man, is I feel like when I talk to folks about this, the, the, how you show the numbers is very interesting. Um, some instances it's back of the napkin conversation. Some instances it's just a PowerPoint presentation and other times it's like, you know, let me see the full pro forma and this and that and modeling and everything. And it's like, what is it? Like, I, what's the sweet spot, man, in your mind? Like, I feel yeah. like it's so broad of a range in terms of how you show those numbers um, and everyone has their own different thing. Like what's, what, where would you guide folks on that? So I, I think in our early days, it's your story, right? It's the story of what and the passion that you bring 
that the investor is going to look at. Any numbers that you present to them is usually not of any value. They discount it quite significantly. So have a, a, a at least a structure that's logical in how you, you, you're going to use the capital and what you're going to use it for. But they're investing in you. They're investing in the story. They're investing in your passion. Uh, so those are early. As you get to become uh, a larger, uh, more successful organization, uh, the, the, the numbers start to play more importance because they look at repeatability, look at investment, because they're just thinking now that you have repeatability, can they just throw more money at it and make you more income? But the early days, it's about the founder. It's about the passion. Uh, it's about the story. So, you know, put your heart into that and uh, someone will give you money. Yeah, I love it, man. All right, Samir, I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight and spending a spending an hour with us. Thank you very much, Andy. I really enjoyed our conversation today. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up and out of here. But before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show. Get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. And don't forget to visit aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7 to get your own pair of Task Force 7 sneakers. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.